Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Palin on the show today. Super excited. He's an entrepreneur, product maker, mentor, angel investor, dad. Love to hear this. And the founder of an amazing tool that a lot of PMs use in the space, Product Board. Welcome to the show, Hubert. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. If you don't mind, I would love to hear a little elevator pitch on yourself. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you. I started my career in management consulting at Accenture. I'm from Prague, the Czech Republic originally. Got my MBA here at Berkeley and then got sucked into tech Silicon Valley. And, you know, this has been my home for the past 15 years now. And I never look back. Our founding story is maybe prototypical founding story. I was a product manager. I was a VP product at a BI company before. And I had all these pain points. I would be massaging feedback and notes from customer interviews in spreadsheets and, <laughs> and in Evernote back then and trying to tag features in or epics stories in Jira. And like I was trying to do my job. And it was just bizarre, again, that there was no tool optimized for that. And so I ultimately quit and said, hey, let's build. Let's build something great for product people specifically. Product Board is a product management platform. Think of it as a CRM or Jira, but specifically designed for the needs of product managers. It's mind-boggling that if you look at all the tools that we have at our disposal as product people, product makers, we have Jiras and we have GitHubs and there's obviously a lot of great tools. But product management is all about customers and their needs. And the entity of a customer and the needs are nowhere in sight in any of those tools. You can go to Jira and understand who's your customers, what are their biggest pain points. If you build a feature, who's going to benefit from it? And so we said, this is crazy. Let's build, let's build a platform that is going to do just that. And that is going to be designed for the needs of product managers. That's what we've been building you know, for the past almost eight years. We have over 6,000 companies as customers, including... Zoom is a big customer, or Volkswagen, Disney, you know, large and small companies. And it's it's humbling. It's awesome to be part of their product successes and part of their product stories. It's an awesome path to get to where you're at today. It's not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get into it. <laughs> we have so many topics to cover, but one in particular, since we're on the topic of pain point and struggles through the growth of this organization, what has been the hardest piece of it all? Eight, nine years that you've been investing into this thing. Was it the early start? Was it this next phase of growth for your company? How do you think about it? It's difficult to pinpoint one time because in absolute terms, the stress is bigger and bigger because there's more on the line when you're a bigger and bigger company. And we have now over 500 employees. So you're responsible for livelihoods of many more people and you have customers and you have more people relying on you and you want to serve more people and that makes it harder in the absolute term. You know how people are. The stress is relative and your equal as stress now as you were when you were starting the company as as equal as my almost 70-year-old <laughs> son when he can't watch a show because <laughs> I tell him, no, get out and play soccer. It's completely relative. The challenges obviously evolve a lot. But yeah, it's just different. It's super grounding to hear that it's all relative and we all experience that in different phases of our lives. It, it demystifies it a little bit. So I appreciate you touching on that a little bit. Well, we can go into more of that, but maybe we can start with a first question about building products in a new era of inflation. The headwinds with potential recession, volatile market. How do you actually approach that? as a leader, as a builder, as a product manager? Easy question to begin with, right? Um, <laughs> look, like throw you into the rigor, yeah. come on. <laughs> no, 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 I'll, 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 I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you one, one good news in all of this. And I mean, you know, the world is crazy. Obviously everything that you're describing is happening at the same time, right? Like the, the tech bubble bursted, COVID artificially created, COVID demand spike kind of dissipated. Investors are hard to hard to come by, right? To raise more money and so on. Global economy, inflation, uh, the war, it's weighing on people's mind. People are distracted. But the good news in all of this is that product people are all about uncertainty, right? That isn't that <laughs> what our job is? Like that is like how do you turn the little weak signals in the market and how do you spot the, the nuances in what people would really benefit from and how do you kind of deal with the imperfect information and turn it into something useful, valuable into a product that ultimately defines future. That's what we do. I look at it as a silver lining because we can 
just use our skills and focus on what we do best. In any time of recession or downturn, when the uncertainty is higher, it's maybe counterintuitive, but it is also the time when people are the likeliest to change their behavior. For product people, we should not just keep doing what we've been doing, but double down on research, mm. double down on spending time with your customers. Make sure that what you thought you were building is useful before the downturn happened is going to be the thing that is useful after the downturn happens because people are going to poke up you know, their heads and they're going to reconsider their spending. They're going to reconsider the tools that they use. They're going to challenge their behaviors, like all of that. And then it happened during COVID crisis. It happened during the 2008 Great Recession. That's one thing. And execution, you need to have a plan more than ever, a very rigorous framework how you do prioritization because budget is more uncertain than it has been. Right? In the good times, you have line of sight like, okay, if I hit these milestones, we can get more investments or we can go public if you're later stage or if you're a large enterprise that's innovating, you know that if you hit certain set of criteria, you're going to get more funding from the corporate innovation budget, whatever it is. This is much less predictable right now. Even if you hit milestones, like good luck finding investors right now. And where is really the market? What's the right valuation and so on? So the plan is critical. And I would urge everybody, focus on your current customers. Build what is most important for your current customers first. Don't spread yourself too thin, trying to chase new segments, you know, build new stuff, like to broaden your market share, unless your core is healthy. And then second order is invest into new stuff, but again, for the existing customers. First, you know, first improve stuff for your existing customers, add stuff for your existing customers. And then only when you have all that and you have a super healthy customer, customer base and you're super differentiated, then go and expand and build for new customer segments and, you know, new markets and so on. Obviously, it's not linear, you know, like life is not linear. Like you're kind of doing a little bit of it at the same time, but like how you allocate your portfolio investments, you should consider current customers and the current needs that you promise you're satisfying with your product first, then more needs for the existing customers, and then new, more customers. I love that focusing on your current customers, who you're servicing, that current promise. How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know that you have satisfied it? How do you yeah. know that it's time to move on? Ultimately, you should be measuring the kind of, I talk about the shape of the business, just like, you know, the entire funnel from leads or, you know, if you have freemium customers, like whatever is kind of like the early stage of your funnel, all the way to the paying customers and then churning customers or, you know, if, if, if whatever, uh, whatever type of business, right? If you're not SaaS, it's going to be a little, a little, a little different. But the point is that if you look at the customer lifecycle and how they're interacting with your product, you can measure whether, whether it's healthy or not. Like, is it, if you were to carve out this like sliver of your business, is there a healthy business in terms of how much does it cost me to acquire customers, right? Are they are they engaged with the product? Are the are, are the are the engagement and retention metrics healthy? Retention, the opposite side of churn. And so you you know, like if it's a viable, feasible business, then it's it's healthy, right? If it isn't, if it's kind of like a mediocre, you don't have the right expansion rates, you don't have the right conversion rates, like <laughs> keep building. Because it, it, it keep building the, the core, you know, fundamental stuff because if people are not using it and, and you can't point at any sliver of the business as being healthy, well, you got work to do. And, you know, it's like you're building a house and, and you know, instead of finishing or like a better, better, better example would be like building a city. You're building a city and instead of finishing one building and, you know, start using it, like you start building foundations of like all the buildings at the same time, you can't use anything. Like, what's the point of starting to build a new building if you don't have a single house where you can live in? And that's the same thing with the customers, right? And the use cases that you satisfy. That's a great analogy. Talk to me more about like how the product team works and functions within this ever-changing landscape. What does that collaboration look like within the teams in the business? And how do you continue to build? You need to have as clear vision and then subsequently strategy as possible for the next you know, three years, roughly say. Obviously, if you're an early stage startup, the, the horizon's shorter, right? Like you don't have the line of sight in three years, you know, maybe it's six months, right? Maybe it's even three months if you're super early. But what I want to say is like, you need to be as specific as possible about what you're trying to achieve and then make sure that everybody on the team is aligned around it. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little more specific, you know, I'm writing right now, actually, 
a dog that is called Horizon 25, and it's a three-year product strategy and vision for the company from the product perspective. And I'm outlining all the key pieces. I'm talking about the market overview. You know, I'm talking in our case, like, hey, this is the broader product management process. These are all the pieces that are there so that people understand broadly the landscape and the, you know, the, 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 the end-to-end kind of world of product management. And then within that, I'm talking about, okay, this is a replay. This is where, you know, our, our competitors play. This is where you want to play now versus expand later. I'm talking about the different personas and, you know, we know it, right? There's product managers, but there's product operations and there's all the go-to-market people who's, who participate in it, right? There's engineering, there's design, like there's, you know, all these different personas. And so as the first, as the first order of business, it's like get everybody to understand the bigger picture that you're operating in. Because there's a lot of things that you're not going to be building, but it's important for people to know that you're aware and that you're intentionally saying, no, this is not what we're going to do. Right? Like product board, like, hey, you know, Amplitude is doing a great job at product analytics and, and, and the, the team there, you know, that's their core. Um, and, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to be product management system that is workflow and we're very specific, very specific about it, right? And, and then, you know, within that landscape, I talk about what are the key differentiators? Like, how are we different from the different competitors and different types of competitors, non-consumption versus direct competition, like, you know, very different types of competitors, but like I'm describing how product board positions against that. And then I, and then I say like, so I set that as kind of like the broad landscape to hope that everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands the, the space. Everybody understands where other competitors are and so on. And within that, I would say, okay, what's the vision? What are we going to build in the next three years? And then what are we not going to build? Like, Hey, we're saying no. And I have a long list of things that we were saying no to, you know? And and so and that then that's kind of part of the vision. And then the strategically, okay, so what's the strategy? What is it that we're gonna do in order to get to the vision? And I talk about like similar framework what I just told you. Start with your core customer base, fix the gaps and friction in your core flows that are like core to your product, right? In in our case, like prioritize feature functionality, make sure that everything is like super simple with customer feedback processing and supporting, justifying all the product decisions. You know, these are, these are core flows in our product that needs to be super seamless. And we have gaps, we have friction, just like every product has gaps and friction in some of the user experiences, but we need to fix it first, then expand the needs, then grow the, into the new customer base. And then make sure that you don't forget about technical foundation, technical debt, scalable infrastructure, you know, all of that. And so I know this is a long answer, but this is a very specific answer. This document, it's a, it's a relatively long document. It's like, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's an ocean page in our case. I don't know how many pages it is, but like, I don't know, seven, 10 pages. And it's, and it's, and it's pretty detailed, but I really believe that you need to go into a level of specificity, at least with your like the engineering product design organization, because it's impossible to just like write one pager about strategy and hope that everybody understands the context. You can't capture that. And so you have a longer document, socialize it, do workshops, right? Do roadshow, you need to take it on the roadshow, you need to make sure that everybody is on the same page, that you talk about it. And it's like uncomfortable long pauses. Does everybody get it? Like three hour, four hour workshops, you know, repeat it ad nauseum, like distribute it, collect questions and you need to do that. But the, it's expensive. But the, if you don't do it, you risk misalignment. You risk that people are going to be interpreting, you know, you, you say a feature name, you say a market that you're going to expand to and everybody imagines something else. And that's the most, that's like, that's so expensive. So long answer, but like all this is like, this is fundamental that you need to do, right? And more in the downturn because the resources are more precious. The dollar needs to take you or whatever currency, right? Needs to take you farther. And so obviously this is the leadership top down needs to start this, but then bottoms up, reconcile it with what are the individual tribes or teams seeing? Like what's their perspective? Like it needs to be a collaborative effort. You get buy-in through that. You get insights, you know. I don't know everything anymore. Like there's a lot of people on the front line that talk to customers more than I do, even though I talk a lot to customers. That vision is so crucial and important to be that anchor or that flag in the sand for the team to grow their boats towards, right, or fly towards, whatever analogy we can think of there. That's pivotal to continue to communicate and keep in front ad nauseum. You're saying you're crafting this today. What did you use before? 
there was a lighter version. It is not as good as this one. <laughs> Honestly, I hope it as a company is maturing, right? Like the need for this is higher and higher because you have more, more and more people. So you can just look yourself, look up in a room and, you know, kind of talk through things, you know, with a small group of old timers. Uh, but it's basically part of annual planning, you know, and then we're going into this into Q4 and then we're going to translate it into, you know, spe- much more specific goals for, for 2023 and then even, you know, objectives for Q1 and, or like we actually run our, engineering product, product design on half years, kind of, you know, H1, H2, longer term. Still OKRs are quarterly, but the, the roadmap is more of a biannual. I think that's important too, of like, how do we weave this into our process and make sure that it's a forceful function to think about constantly within a time period? Do you have like an annual plan for the business and then you have the subsets? How does that manifest for the teams? Yeah. So if I take off like, you know, the product head and put a CEO head, yeah, there's objectives, like annual plans, annual plan objectives for the company for the year. And then it, it's kind of like the typical care framework. If you read John Doerr's book, mm-hmm. Measure What Matters, that framework. You know, it's kind of an interesting balance because it's a balance between specificity. So here's what I'm trying to say is that, you know, sometimes teams get hung up on like very specific OKRs and like the language and exactly how it's written, right? And you can go kind of super crazy about it. And I talked to John Doerr about it a bunch of times because he's a partner at Kleiner Perkins, one of our investors, and I, and I see him, you know, at, at different events. And he said, look, like, you know, you need to be reasonable given your stage of the company. And, and really, as long as the objectives are helping you narrow down everything that you could be doing... Like it's succeeding and the level of narrowing down differs based on the stage of the company, differs on like how clear people are about, you know, like maturity of understanding of the market and all that. And so you shouldn't be like super, you know, religiously following everything to the T the way Google does it. Like you're not Google, you know, so... So, I mean, you might be, I <laughs> people, different people, <laughs> there might be some Googlers listening. But it's kind of like being pragmatic about how you apply it. And then the opposite, though, is also dangerous. You know, if you if you desi- if you define the OKR or the objective too broadly, if you say like, "Hey, lower churn," or you know, "increase revenue," and then how are you? Gonna, how key results? Well, you know, revenue in this segment goes up by twenty percent, and so on. That's all great, but these are not OKRs. These are KPIs. They always exist at the business, and you like you know. They're important metrics to measure, but they're not helping you narrow down what is it you should do. If you say decrease churn, that's not an objective. Like, how are you going to do it, right? Are you going to improve the product? Or are you going to hire more CS sales, you know, people? Like, increase revenue. Look at Evernote, you know. Are you going to build better software? You're going to start selling backpacks. That's what they did in, back in the day. So, I knew, yeah, sell backpacks, make more money, right? But is it, like, strategically the right thing, you know? No. <laughs> So, sorry. Tell me a little bit about that shift from that startup that you started, you know, eight to to nine-ish years ago to now this, you said 500 people. Yeah. How has the topology of the teams evolved with the strategy and that growth, right? I'm sure you start with one team, you start to grow from there, and now you have a team of 530-ish people. How is that structured to support the goals and strategic initiatives that you're setting forth for your business? Yeah, we have we have a pretty sizable uh, engineering product design organization. We call it EPD. Somebody calls it PED, PDE, EDP, <laughs> whatever. Um, and we have 150 engineers, roughly 25 product managers, 25 designers, rough, roughly, plus minus. And, you know, as we grew, we we needed to adjust. We need to... Uh, obviously we went from one team to multiple teams and then we had to organize the teams into tribes. We have, we have tribes that are defined mostly by the main use cases or jobs to be done of the product, but it's not, it's not perfect. You know, we have like one tribe is focused on insights and really making sure that we help our customers really, really well understand what is it that people need. Then the second one is prioritization and road mapping. It's like, how do you turn it into the roadmaps, like how do you decide which features based on the input from the customers and other strategic uh, criteria, like what should be on the roadmap, that's the job of a second tribe. And then we have a tribe that's responsible for 
scaling the platform and a lot of the enterprise collaboration functionality. And then we have another tribe, which is growth. It's like, okay, it cuts across, right? But like product-led growth, uh, trial, we're, we're, we're uh, actually launching a freemium roadmap um, product in, uh, next week, actually. Uh, welcome everybody to sign up for the beta. And so that that is the structure. And then there's obviously engineering has multiple teams on the infrastructure side, developer experience, you know, kind of like the, the technical platform side. Uh, not not the kind of APIs and you know extensible flat platform that that has product leadership, and so it was growing as the company was growing, right? Like you know, first we didn't have the structure, but now we have it, and now we're adding more teams, we're adding into the structure, and and it's you know it's not it's not perfect. There's always areas where it overlaps, and it's like which tribe should work on this, and like it should cut across. Who's gonna own that? You know, it's like, but you know, I don't feel like there's a magic bullet. It's, no, and, I don't think so either, but I love hearing stories of, of how folks do that because it can kind of give you some more ideas and how you could potentially look at things. For us, we're doing a, th- a similar topology exercise right now as we continue to grow. We're not 500 yet, but we're around like a 200, right? And so we're trying to figure out the best way to organize for that growth as we grow without, you know, not overcomplicating it. We are a two-sided marketplace, so we have, like, you know, separated more by the two sides and then the mm-hmm. platform as opposed to the job. I love the the jobs-to-be-done framework to organize in that way, and I love the growth uh, element as well. Like, that, that seems to be, like, the next natural cut for us uh, to have some sort of strategy like that. I mean, I'm sure you're going to hit it's the, the code base and how it's, you know, separated for engineers. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because, like, who owns the code base? Who owns the domains? Different domains, and then now do you cut across? Like, you know, we 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 we've seen friction, like organizational friction around that. You're not alone by any means. <laughs> yeah, we I think we all kind of struggle with that in cases, but that's helpful to understand your process and then how that weaves into the actual day to day for the teams and some of the potential challenges that they might incur. I wanted to shift the conversation just a tad around authenticity talking about leading with authenticity, particularly with your vision, I would imagine that weaves in some nature of authenticity around you, like this personal belief or this this kind of, you know, Hubertness that kind of drives the vision of Product Forward, right? Like there's got to be some of that woven into it. And I think that kind of leads to that question, but how do you lead authentically in your space? Different things, right? There, there's like me, like Hubert's persona as a, as a, uh, like a thought leader in the product management space versus being a CEO of a company. And, you know, these are these are different jobs, but being authentic for both of them underneath is being true to who you are. You know, don't, don't have like a different persona publicly versus who you are. It's just like, you know, people can call that, they can sense that, especially people internally. And so you... That means that you show that you're vulnerable. It means that you're human being like everybody else. You're not perfect. Like you know, I, 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 I say, I always say that it's not like I'm the CEO and founder, but it, that doesn't mean that I'm smarter. It's you know I have different set of information, right? Like you know I've been thinking about this for eight years. We founded a company in 2014, so. So I just have a lot of context. And so the the challenge is for me, like how do I share the context and how do I make sure that other people know the context and how do I do it without getting frustrated? Because frankly, it's sometimes easy to forget that I've been thinking about this for eight years and that somebody who I who I hired and who just started and has, you know, three months or whatever, a couple months of of working on this in this industry under their belt that they actually don't have <laughs> the context which is it doesn't matter they can be a genius right but they just like they don't know they haven't had that many customer conversations and they, they it's just impossible you need to transfer the knowledge somehow and so to me the authenticity is like okay how do i how do i reveal and how am i true to admitting that here are the things that i know here are the things that i don't know here are, how is it challenging how how are things sp- spreading me thin and kind of recognizing that there's a lot of pressure, you know, in, in, in the organization, the company, that's all, 
and then you know at at a certain scale it gets hard because um if you have a lot of people at the company, there's always some conflicting opinions and some people appreciate something you say and some people like take it the the, the other way and like, hey, I didn't understand or like that doesn't resonate with me. You know, it's harder the, the bigger the company because it's much less homogeneous um, group of people. And I'm, I'm not talking about like backgrounds and, and you know, kind of like the, the diversity. I'm, I, I mean, I mean it much more it's it's much more heterogeneous because people are here for a shorter time and longer time and they have less heterogeneity of the context about the business you know that's what happens in this time of uncertainty especially the authenticity to me it's like talk talk about um why are you here why am why am i doing things like how am i making decisions like you know we it it i'm learning the lessons sometimes in a hard way where you're making changes quickly and you're adjusting things quickly, especially in this time of a of a recession and sometimes you need to cut costs or you know you need to like reshuffle reorg things because they're inefficient and um you know it's 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 uh, not everybody is super happy when you make a quick change and not explain it properly, but then the challenge sometimes is you don't have the time. You know, you need to make, you need to make the change, and it's like, hey, you know, we had to make the change quickly and adjust quickly because, like, you know, we've been wasting hundred thousand dollars every week, and so, like, yeah, I would love to do cascading comps and explain it to everybody and properly, you know, empower the leaders to communicate throughout the organization, but like, it's, it's gonna cost us, you know, half a million dollars if you wait. So it's like, uh... get vulnerable with me here for a minute, but in terms of authenticity and hard decisions as a leader, can you actually talk me through that last hard decision that you've had to make as a leader? Is there some context you can share around it? What was the decision? How did you come to it? Yeah. Um, look, parting, parting ways with people is always hard, especially if it's, you know, the, 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 the fast growing startups are kind of not a very natural, uh, like from a from a social psychology setup, you know, because it's it's a it's a it's an organization that needs to evolve very quickly, and the then the needs of the organization uh, or organization change very quickly, and so the skills that you need to have on the team change very quickly, and you know you bring you bring people on board that are wonderful for a stage of the company, and and you become friends with them, because you know. It's not just business. Like you spend so much time with these people and you become friends. And then you need to have a hard conversation with them explaining that, um, you know, you, you need to bring in somebody with different skill set or more experience who's seen the, the next level of scale because just objectively the needs of the company are evolving faster than individuals can evolve. Um, and so that's that has been hard, you know, parting ways. With, and, and, that, and that it's not... It's not like the person can't, you know, it's 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 not assessment of how smart they are, or capable they are. And so it's just like the needs have shift have shifted, right? Um so that's been always hard for me. Like when we're parting parting with with somebody who's capable and you know, but like the needs of the org change, right? Like you need to reorg, you need to, you know, oh, this customer segment it's actually gonna be different and we need to have a different go to market structure, right? Or 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 um yeah, the, the, the expertise that's needed, you know, you change tech stacks and not everybody is capable of adapting, right? Or wants to. So, so that, that, and as, and again, especially if it's old timers that are your friends and you know them well, and it kind of breaks your heart, uh, or they choose to leave the company and it's like, darn it. Like, I wish they stayed, you know, and, and we have people who've been with us for like six years and now they're leaving and it's just, um, I completely get it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm like. On a personal level, I'm happy that they go and find something else. But just like I wish, I wish, um, yeah, you could you could do something to to give them. But you know, they want to do start start something again from like a small thing. And so like I can't right now go and <laughs> set up set up like a new product line. Just you know, like this is not a great time to to be trying new moonshots. You know, for a company of our size, right? Like as like I said, you want to stay core to your customers. So, 
on on a personal level, I would say one more thing, and that is, uh, um, like how much stress you put on your partner. Like in case my wife, you know, I know it's not kind of like a hard decision or like I don't know, is it a hard decision? It's kind of, you know, I struggle with that frequency. Like you know, I need to talk to somebody. But then I feel bad about talking to my wife about the difficult decisions and stress because it's not fair to her. She's stressed about her work, you know? And um, anyway, so find a mentor, you know, find somebody who's like mentor, coach, somebody who you can talk to and, or, you know, build build a support network outside of your company and, and your immediate family. Especially, you know, in the early days of the, of the startup, it, it was... For my wife, it, it must have been so hard. <laughs> I would complain. I would complain about it. Anyway. Having a support system is so important. Really in any function, as you start to grow in your career, you can't get that necessarily in the place of work, right? You need to get that outside or you need to build that network of folks that you maybe worked with in the past or like you said, a coach or someone, right? To continue to have those conversations, you have this board of support that you can always go to in times of need and and there's always times in need, right? It's just the ups and downs of of this career. And especially being a CEO, I'd imagine you have that kind of same, probably even to the more extremes, right? Because you have more invested. So many hard decisions to make there. I appreciate you sharing some of that information. Shifting back, I'd love to talk about the organization of your product team. Can you talk to me a little bit about how it's structured? Do you all have a CPO? Do you kind of play that role? Yeah, we talked about the, the tribes already, but the tribes cut, uh, obviously, across the, the product organization. So we have a head of product, SVP product, who heads up both product management and design. So, you know, it, it kind of meets at, at that level. And then the head of product reports to me. The title is SVP product, but, you know, head of product. And then my co-founder and CTO um, heads up engineering organization. So, so you know, product design and engineering meets at my level, which, um, you know, works for us because I'm, I'm a very, I mean, I'm a product founder, right? I'm product, product manager and product founder. So, you know, I'm close to, I'm close to that setup. Um, there's, or like, I, I, you know, I can be the arbiter in that sense, right? Like if there's a disagreement between product design and engineering, like, you know, I can, I can help because I'm deeply involved and understand those domains. Companies, organizations where the CEO is more business-minded, for example, like you're probably better off having one leader who heads up the like, entire EPD or, you know, R&D. Um, but again, it, it depends on the individual setup and the strength of, of, of the C-suite, right, of the different personas and the leadership. And then underneath we have directors and you know other 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 levels all the way to the to the like entry level product managers or you know we have associate product managers as the entry entry level in the product org. In terms of that relationship between you and the head of product, I would imagine that it could be contentious. It could be really great. Tell me more about that relationship. Yeah, it it um, I would just say that it requires a lot of conversations and a lot of time spent to make sure that you're aligned and and it kind of comes in waves as well because you know there's like the the divergence convergence phases and you know like there's something that i think about and i and i and i um then then i realize oh we're actually not aligned on a certain area right like what we want to prioritize what we want to push for and so um sk who runs up who heads up our product like we we just spend time together and talk about things and you know this 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 horizon 25 division strategy exercise was an important one when we would lock ourselves up together with daniel the cto and, and sk head of product and, and we would spend hours days together and we would workshop the hell out of it right we just like talked one by one through all the different jobs, needs, use cases, you talk through the personas, you talk through competition and you just like talk about things that might be like feel obvious, but I'm a big believer in making sure that you talk uh, even about the obvious things because frequently you find that actually people are not, not thinking, you know, the same way about like some basic stuff. Um, and so do it on a repeat, repeated basis. And then I did 
during one of our conferences, I did a panel with, with founders, uh, CEOs, and how they picked their first set of products and, and how they onboarded them. And it was like uniformly like, hey, if you have somebody new, you need to invest extra time and spend time with them in person. I mean, of course, like I know that now we're we're distributed and we have a bunch of remote hybrid people as well. But just the bonding, the understanding to develop the relationships so that you kind of have this shortcut, right? And you say something and the other person knows without like additional explanation. You know, the upfront investment into the relationship really pays off. Like you can, you can trust each other more. You understand each other better. Um, you're on the same page because otherwise you need to keep like checking in and course correcting. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's draining, right? You, you want to empower these people, but empowerment doesn't mean to throw them into water and swim. It means that you, sh- you should share as much context as possible, right? It's the same thing on the lower level of lower levels of the organization. You know, empowered teams are great, but like the level of empowerment needs to be um, needs to be like related to the level of context and expertise that the team has. Right? It's 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 like if uh, if you have a young graduate of a medical school, you're not gonna give them a dying patient of cancer like go and figure it out <laughs> you're gonna give them guidance right you're gonna go and you're not gonna like read the books and figure it out and see if you can save the patient but it's frequently what happens in the with the product teams right you hire a new product manager and it's like go and figure out here's a problem and that you know of course smart people will eventually solve it the problem is that it's gonna take much longer then if you show them the shortcuts, if you give them context, if they don't need to go and do the primary research again. You know, I always say it's an interesting balance, right? Because customers, talking to customers is fundamental and super important for you to understand, okay, what is it that people need? And it's also the slowest way to do it. To go and talk to the customers and do the primary research, like it takes time. So like any shortcut that you can take, which talk to people who already talk to the customers, talk to sales, talk to support, talk to people who have the context and try to, again, it's shortcuts. Um, and so I always feel like, you know, it's responsibility of the leadership on all the levels to share as much context as they have, assuming they have more context, right? If you're new, like, yeah, maybe the people, uh, you know, in the lower, lower levels of the organization might have more context because they've been around longer. But the point is, to make sure that people who have more context translate and transfer the, co- the context to the people who have less and invest into it. Like create the workshops, hold the brown bag lunches sessions, like do the collaborative show and tells, like do the office hours, like push people to show up early with stuff that they're working on so that you can course correct, not in a dictatorial way, but like, hey, let's just talk about what you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to share my thoughts, you know, in some cases I know and I remember that five years ago we already explored this and we have like a bunch of mock-ups somewhere in the drawer and, you know, I'll tell you and I'll save you three weeks of user research, you know, and in some other cases I'm going to say like, I have no idea. This is a great problem. This is like, yeah, you really need to go to the customers and go and talk to them, right? Because I have, I don't know. So is there any customer research repository that, you start to build all this information and context to share out in a written form. Do you do that outside of just these presentations or workshops? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in our case, we use Product Board. That's what Product Board is built for. (laughs) You can consolidate all the support conversations, right? Like we have the support uh, tickets that we have now in Zendesk for seven intercom. And we actually still have both because we use intercom chat in the product and Zendesk for more of the kind of passive tickets. But it's all going into central repository and product board and it's structured and people, it's highlighted and tagged based on product areas or based on types of customers. And so like we're very diligent about it because I, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, like nobody argues with you that being customer centric is important and talking to customers is important and all that. But then very few organizations actually effectively share the insights that come out of those conversations. You know, usually it ends in the head of the person who was there. And that's the challenge because it, it's, it, you're not scaling. You're not, you know, you're kind of forcing, and I'm sure that here the product folks heard it, right? Like, oh, my designers want to do research because, you know, they need to hear it directly from the customers. 
and you as a product manager, you were there longer and you've already talked to the customers about it, but you know, they don't believe you because they need to hear it from the customer's mouth. And, and that's, yeah, I get it. But that's why kind of like the authentic leadership, that's why the level of trust between the people needs to be developed. Because if you admit as a product manager that you know something and something else you don't know, and you have these relationships, and if people can trust you that, you know, you're not making it up and you're not just like a stubborn, you know, person who's who's advocating uh, for a certain solution without really understanding the needs and so on. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, if that's the case, then... Yeah, that's an issue, right? And they're going to go and do the user research. But if you build a relationship based on trust and you explain and you you, you justify, and then, and that's what we use product board as a repository because you can go, you can highlight, you can show people the quote. Like this is what the people said, right? And you can go, when we built, when we were building this neural mapping experience, the designer started with 450 something snippets, insights from previous support tickets, conversations, you know, and you just, you just go and you would read through it. That onboarding into the domain, into the set of problems, use cases was so much faster. You saved like, I don't mm. know, you know, year of work. I, I don't know, maybe not year, right? But like a lot. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so to your question about yeah. repository, right? Like how do you translate it? How do you make sure that the knowledge dis is like disseminated across the company or at least across the team that's working on it is super important. And maybe, by the okay. way, you know, sometimes, you know, you have product design engineering, right? So product design should be like super close to customers. The more engineering is close to the customers, the better. But sometimes it's enough that you have at least like portion of the engineering team that is part of the customer conversation. And it is kind of like the customer thinking facing, right? Because as long as that voice of the customer is represented in the technical decisions, Maybe you have some people who are, you know, very introverted and algorithmic infrastructure people, and it's very difficult to kind of get them talk to people just because it's not who they are. But again, if 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 there is somebody who can then guide them and tell them like, hey, if you architect it this way, it's gonna work great, or if you architect it this way, we're gonna, you know, we will need to redo it because the the this is how we anticipate the user needs evolve and the product evolve as a result. So. It's like the representation on the engineering team, you know, if you have six yeah. people, like maybe two engineers should participate in the customer understanding. I've got one more question for you and then we can go into our homework. Are there any kind of like unique practices or rituals to product board that you guys have put into practice that you haven't really seen elsewhere? This is an advice that I got early as an entrepreneurial advice, not necessarily product advice, but it's like, if you're the only person doing something, like you're likely, you're much more likely the <laughs> idiot than the genius doing it <laughs> because people tend to replicate quickly what's working. If you think like, oh, you're the only one who has this idea, <laughs> it's likely it's because it's a dumb idea than because it's, it's a great idea. The answer is no, there's no unique. <laughs> well, I don't know unique, like, you know, there's, there's things that are like unique to the company or to the people and the, the kind yeah. of, you know, the, the, the context, right? So it's mm. like, um, but I don't see like on an abstract, you know, level, like yeah. I try to do all of that, what I'm talking about, like holding office yeah. hours and right. like be accessible. And like, you know, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, it's hard, especially as the company grows, like how do I find the time, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's, it's very hard. So I know that, you know, few people do it. But it's not like unique in the modern approach to product management. Like I push everybody, here's the thing, I push everybody. And this is like a big project that we have across the company that not just product, but entire company has the same understanding of the target customer. Marketing, sales, mm. customer success, product. And it's, you know, it might be obvious, but it's not. It's not that common, you know, sales is their yeah. ICP, ideal customer profiles with some mm. criteria. Marketing has their marketing scoring model for leads. Engineering product design has personas, you know, and it's not like coherent, consistent mm. story that cuts across the business. And it creates a lot of friction and a lot of, lot of inefficiencies yeah. as a result, right? So... And this is not unique. That seems like a best practice, no, but right. it's something that we're doing right now to get aligned. That's a challenge across a lot of organizations, but 
even still, it sounds like you have one customer, right? One target customer that you're servicing. You probably have a lot of sub-segments, but it's not a multi-sided market where you're dealing with the complexity of having to build a segment across two sides, right? Which makes it a little easier. It's still, it sounds like even as you grow and scale, departments have their own way of defining these things that could obscure the focus, right? I mean, you know, the yeah, to your point, like, yeah, two-sided marketplaces, like you have, you know, yeah, two sides, right? But then within that, um, like you can be and you should be very rigorous about the segmentation, about the criteria yeah. that you look at to segment the customers um, or, or, you know, users, whatever. It's like in our case, you know, product management, there's, there's many dimensions along which companies differ. If you're a B2B versus B2C, you know, are you a large company or a small company? But then like, you know, how sophisticated you are, mm. like, you know, are you like a... There's still a lot of companies that are agile shops that have product owners and they don't really have the modern product managers and they, you know, they are not as bought into uh, customer centricity and, you know, dual track agile. They're very much single track, right? Or like yeah. whatever jobs to be done, like whatever lean startup, yeah. right? You know, there's, there's there's kind of like a sense of maturity and these companies are different. Um, you know, digital first companies versus digital transformation companies. Like yeah. different challenges, very different challenges in some cases. And who do you target at, at product board? Look, like, you know, we, we as, as we've gone to the market, we started with a very narrow segment that had the highest pain point. And, and that was kind of like the highest number. So it was like you said, like, let's start with B2B companies that have single product that is relatively complex. It's going to be a digital first company and it's going to be... Um, like a high maturity product organization. Like, you know, the the qualification question would be, do you know what Lean Startup is? Do you know Marty yeah. Kagan? Do like do you do you know the latest greatest? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um and and then like let's solve that. And an organization that has just one team, just for one team within the yeah. company. And then yeah. we went to the market slowly, like, okay, now let's build for multiple teams. Now let's enhance it for, so that not just the individual PMs, but like the directors and the leaders can get value out of it, right? Now let's build for, for companies that are, you know, more digitally transforming and they, they need not just the product, but they need consulting. They need help with best practices, framework, methodology, and so on and so on. If you were to give one piece of homework for our listeners for this week as they listen to this episode, what would you give to them? <laughs> I maybe along the side what I said about the you know the product the product vision and then the turning into strategy. I know mm -hmm. that not everybody here is pro, like product executive that should be driving this, but I would I would just challenge you like try to write it up right like you know describe the broader market that you're in, describe the the core needs jobs, and it's like create a simple table right like hey this is it like you know. Um, in in uh, like to 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 give to give people an idea right in the product management space you can think from um like from the overall strategy you know then then the competitive intelligence research customer product insights you know road mapping discovery and there's delivery user testing experimentation product analytics you know launch management product marketing and so on. like describe how that whole ecosystem or the value chain looks like and um and then where are you in it? How you're different from competition, so on. And and do that, and and do you do you can do in a in a simple simpler form, and and then go and talk to your boss or you know say like, hey, I just wrote this. This is my understanding where we are. It, like how close I am, like you know, ask yeah. for basically input, and 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 approach it from the perspective of like, do I see it the same way? If not, can you help me understand why it's different? Like, you know, use it as a conversation starter. Not like, yeah. hey, I really think that we need a document like this, you know, because I heard this on the podcast. <laughs> that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't la land well, right? Like, it's, it's more like, yeah. hey, I've been thinking, I've been wondering, and, you know, <laughs> this, is, this well, is what I see, uh, what I see us, and, you know, this is how I think about... Even if, even if you're, like, the entry-level product manager... It, you know the what the leaders seek for is are you are you looking maybe you have a limited set of the product that you're responsible for like one small subset component whatever but can you show that you're thinking longer term can you show and say like hey how is this gonna evolve 
like how could the customers use how should it look like a year from now two years from now um and use that you know use that as yeah. a starter searching for context i think that's a good <laughs> title for this episode context is gold i think if anything that's one thing i'm taking away myself how do you get that shared context is super important if i were to give some homework out to our listeners i would say join the product excellence summit 2022 product boards embracing uncertainty it's online and in person in san francisco if you go to their website it's right on top of their web page there that would be my homework go attend that yeah i'll welcome like everybody's <laughs> welcome it's gonna be a great it's gonna be a great event we have like yeah. some super awesome speakers including like a real guardian of the galaxy dr cooper who who put the rover on mars and she's gonna be talking about wow. uncertainty so like you know come and hang out with her wow. like she's awesome love that anything else you want to plug or let our listeners know about before we close out and for product board there's gonna be even a free version of the roadmap starting next week sign up and love it. it's a simple roadmap but customer-centric roadmap you know you can use it to collect feedback put it out there build relationships with your customers and hopefully you're gonna make it more efficient than if you're doing the primary research <laughs> yourself like we talked about it before tell them that product coffee sent you so we know how much we can influence this that'd be great that's <laughs> awesome well thanks again hubert uh, it's been a delight chatting with you and, and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to chat about this and um yeah thank, thanks again and uh looks like we finished up our coffee so go level up Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.